This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello everyone, I'm Erin Straza and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. This episode of Persuasion is sponsored in part by LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible. And today's conversation continues our series, Finding Common Ground. Each of these episodes, we have been looking at a different aspect of natural revelation and how the world all around us gives us the common ground we desperately need with our fellow humans. So we've covered a variety of commonalities like human limitations and our shared call to tend and keep the world. And uh, we've had some really great conversations so far. And Hannah, I'm so glad to be back talking with you once again. I, it's been a while. It has been. And yes. unexpectedly so. It For I sure. I do want, um, you know, listeners to know that we had the best of intentions when we started this series and we had it all laid out and we were going to be done before Easter. <laughs> yes, that's right. That was the original plan we were thinking of was to be done before Easter. Yes, we have had some human limitations that we had to deal with and primarily on my end. I feel like I need to uh, raise my hand oh, and admit that. Oh, we don't that need to say <laughs> any of that. <laughs> that's all right. But I'm just saying that there were things happening in life that um, really exposed and revealed what is common to all of us, which is human limitations. There are only so many things that could happen. And one of them was not persuasion, sadly. I've really missed being here and, and having these conversations. Yes. And, and I think it is a question of limitations. I also think um, part of what we learn in these moments where our best laid plans don't come about is to go back and look at our plans and to ask questions of our plans. Because there is the... Um, you know, the very real question of what can we accomplish? What are our human limits? Recognizing those, talking about the struggles of the world. Our last um, episode together, we really delved into that kind of adaptability and meeting the challenges of life. And there's this potential within us and, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, blah, 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 whatever. But there is also a very real question um, of what is possible and what would a sustainable life look like because you don't want to always be in this place where you're having to adapt all the time. Right, right. I, I really feel like that last conversation was the perfect setup for me in terms of what I I experienced in life and you didn't I didn't know what was going to happen. And so yes, we had this plan, we had these ideas and 
if life had been just rolling along as I had expected, we could have continued on that plan, but that's not what life did. And I needed to look at that chaos and adapt. And so I did. But I like what you're saying, Hannah. It's this whole idea of like, yes, life happens and chaos can happen. Your plans do get disrupted. But to then take time to assess, okay, why? And were there things that were in the plan that weren't reasonable? Or or are there components of your life that need to change so that you don't continue on in chaos and have disruption at every turn? So yes, I think all of that um, has been at the forefront for me. And I think it's been good. I I mean, at the front end, it wasn't good. But now I feel like I'm in a much better spot to think clearly and to come back and to work on these projects that I so love. Yes, because the opposite side of the coin to adaptability is that if adaptability becomes impossible, you die, right? So like we think in terms of Um, The natural world having this capacity to change and adjust, even if it's something like a seed that falls underneath a porch, that seed is going to reach and grow and stretch for the light and it's going to try to find the resources it needs. And it might become a little warped. The plant might become a little warped in process, but it's going to push toward life. And that's beautiful and very encouraging. But there's also the seed that drops under the porch into the dark place that never germinates. And the, the, the kind of story of the natural world is that for everything that adapts, there's something that doesn't adapt and life doesn't continue. And so when I think of this kind of dual question of adaptability, meeting the challenges of life, um, there's also this question of sustainability. Like, it is not ideal to be constantly forced to a place where you have to adjust and adapt all the time because you're not guaranteed that you'll be able to do that. You might be the thing, the seed that falls under the porch and doesn't germinate and and never, you know, grows, even if it's in an awkward growth pattern. And so, you know, today we want to look at that question of not just honoring limits or celebrating the ability to adapt and survive (laughs) as great as that can be (laughs) as great as that can be but to talk about what would sustainable living look like and how does the natural world point us back to patterns and regulations of life that have this kind of built-in um corrective mechanism to it It's not just about always upward and onward and adapting to the challenges. Sometimes it means stopping producing a podcast for a little bit. Like, because the truth is when those challenges came, we couldn't adapt sufficiently to keep going. We had to take a break. We had to take a pause. And that doesn't mean it stopped forever, but it did mean that um, we couldn't respond to the moment because there was something unsustainable going on. And so we had to go back and and kind of think about the pursuit of sustainability, what needs to change in the environment or in the life to remove the constant need for adaptation. 
really, this has been the question of the last year and a half, well, year plus, because of COVID, we've had these conversations and businesses have been having these conversations. What is sustainable? What what were we doing? And can we keep doing that? Do we just adjust for a short amount of time? What do we do when COVID is over and we can return? Do we want to return? And I think those are the same questions of sustainability. Was our prior pace of life before COVID really sustainable? That's been a question on lots of people's minds. And do we even want to return to that? Is it sustainable? Is it is it life-giving? Is that the best option? And and like we were saying before, yes, you can live in chaos and you can adapt, but is that going to be the healthiest version of you? Is that going to be the best for your you yourself and your world and your family? Um, and so these are questions that are coming up in all the spaces that I've been in. I feel like it's been in church and work and family. And so this topic of sustainability is very pertinent to where we are today. It is. And and I think that's, as you've mentioned, that's one of the questions. And it's also one of the lessons if we will learn it. Because I think a lot of us are very eager to just get back to normal. Yes, like, that has been on everyone's mind. Like, how do we do it? <laughs> Want to stop long enough to learn the lessons that are available to us in this moment. And I think what we need to consider is the fact that um, the pandemic itself was, uh, you know, the disease and the virus wasn't necessarily created by unsustainable practices. Maybe it is. Maybe there's something I don't know. But the way it spread and the way we responded to it revealed the kind of limits and the the unsustainable practices that we were engaging in. So even if you consider the, the fact of our global marketplace, which allows for all of this um, economic growth and you know, exchange of goods and services and ideas and all this, it, it was that very same globalism that took a, a disease that originated far, far, far away from us in China and brought it to our doorsteps and shut us down. So the fact yeah, that- Yeah, the entire world. I mean, it it really is amazing when you were looking at the mapping and how it was spreading and, oh, it just took one person being on a flight going to this place, and now it's here. Like, that that whole thing of contagion and how things spread, that was so eye-opening and, and fascinating. And we need to address that. Like, I think all of us are much more aware of our connections now and how one person connected to another person connects to another person. And we are seeing our interconnectivity way more today um, in, in lots of ways, in good and bad ways. Like I think we've looked at it a lot in terms of, yes, we're connected by tech, but we really do have human, like physical connections that will create things like this. And we now wonder what can we do long term? Is it going to be masking or um, limits on travel or whatever that is, just to have something that's a more sustainable life? Right. And I really doubt that we're willing to move in that direction because the same systems and structures and habits of life that bring us 
I don't know, produce from faraway places that we want to enjoy and we want to have because we want to eat it. And we can't imagine not having these things accessible to us are the very same systems and processes that deliver um, viruses to our door as well. And, you know, this isn't a comment on that particular issue. It's just to show this this larger question that the way our lives are constructed, the way we're moving through um, the world can be kind of warped in its own movements. And it takes a crisis or um, a conflict or some type of catastrophe to reveal to us the degree to which our practices that we think are the best thing ever are really not sustainable and have inherent flaws in them. Um, Or at the very least, come with a set of challenges and um, difficulties that we've minimized and not paid attention to. And what's fascinating to me is that in many ways, the very mechanisms that we were unwilling to give up or reconsider became the mechanisms of, um, you know, our own pain and suffering And they also had this built-in equilibrium that shut them down. So because we wouldn't reconsider them, we wouldn't address them and think about them. There was this um, (laughs) built-in safety valve or mechanism within reality that COVID shut us down. So there's this irony of, I'm not going to consider limitations. I'm not going to consider the sustainability of my own life. A disease comes in and forces us to consider what we would not otherwise willingly consider. It's that that whole sense of like objects that are in motion will stay in motion until they are forced to stop. And so I think we all tend to live life that way. Like we just keep going and going until then we are forced to halt. And I mean, a wise person would not do that. But I think so often we're, we're so enamored by, let's say, the benefits of, of what we get out of living a certain way. We just keep thinking, oh, the, the negatives can be overcome. Right, or, that the solution is just yes, in more technology or right, more advancement. Right. Like, so we just keep going thinking, oh, it'll all be okay. It'll all be okay. But at some point, it's not going to be okay. Like, yeah, and this <laughs> it's, kind of, it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> This kind of inbuilt um, equilibrium or this kind of uh, this this self-correction that will come, whether or not we pay attention to it, is an idea that I first encountered um, in the work of Dorothy Sayers. Um, she was a, a writer, thinker, theologian in the 1920s onward up into the 50s um, in England, and she was associated with the likes of Tolkien and Lewis. And she has an essay in the 1930s, so right in the middle of the Depression, right, I think it's the late 30s, might even be early 40s, as the war was coming on, um, about how these kind of correction cycles are built into reality. And if we won't pay attention to our unsustainable practices, that reality will just smack us in the face with it. I mean, those aren't her words. Those are my words. Um, But I wanted to read this. It's from her essay called Why Work? Um, And she's talking about war being a judgment, 
but also being like the natural consequence of unsustainable practices. Here's what she says. It is interesting to consider for a moment how our outlook has been forcibly changed for us in the last 12 months by the brutal presence of war. War is a judgment that overtakes societies when they have been living upon ideas that conflict too violently with the laws governing the universe. I like that because she appeals to this kind of natural law idea that there are things in place in the natural order in the creation that we can either identify and align with or we can work against and it will come back to bite us. But more from Sayers. People who will not revise their ideas voluntarily find themselves forced to do so by the sheer pressure of the events which these very ideas bring about. Never think that wars are irrational catastrophes. They happen when wrong ways of thinking and living bring about intolerable situations, or as we're calling them today, unsustainable situations. And whichever side may be the more outrageous in its claim and the more brutal in its methods, the root causes of conflict are usually to be found in some wrong way of life in which all parties have acquiesced, for which everyone must, to some extent, bear the blame. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, Hannah, that, that quote by Sayers is perfection in terms of what we are talking about today. And I mean, Sayers always has so much to, um, to help us sort through what is really going on in the world. She has a way of slicing and dicing into these deep topics. But some of the words that she's using there, things like um, wrong living, intolerable living, all of those themes and ideas, I, I feel like those are things that we don't often assess of ourselves like how often are we saying that we are living wrongly in terms of how we're operating in the world um that sort of yeah and and i think one of the reasons we don't is because it feels like such a moral judgment on us. Yes. I was going to say that, and, and except for when we're talking about like specific sin practices i feel like these are things that feel detached like they're out there Mm -hmm. like those things are happening but are we participating like i feel like we downplay our participation whereas she's bringing us right into it and saying that as a collective we're all involved in how we are living and i i feel um like that sort of 
look and um, judgment upon what are the practices, what are ways of living, consumerism, all of those things. Um, I think that those are categories that we have to step back and look at, but that's going to also require some change. And that's hard. Right. I think it's far too personal. Uh, yes. it, it feels yes. like this isn't a judgment of me and my choices. And and at some level, yes. I mean, of course, obviously it is. I mean, we all are making choices. But I have found um, that if we can create a little space and, and remove it from the category of thin moral judgment, you know, human culpability, the kind of shame and damnation that comes from these conversations, and we shift it to a slightly more objective space, it can help us see the principles in play without being overwhelmed by our complicity. Because you really have to have enough distance from the problem to have perspective and be able to, you know, just kind of engage it more abstractly and rationally to see what's happening and not feel like you are personally um, condemned the minute you start talking about it. And I think that's even part of the problem behind our conversations of racism. We can't have them because it is far too personal. People feel it in their bodies. Um, and, and then that's a true thing. I mean, I don't want to downplay the reality of the embodied life. But what we are struggling to do is just to say the truth about our ecosystems and our environments. We're struggling to say this is a real thing that's happening because the minute we start talking about it, it feels like it's about us. And so for me, one way to gain this objectivity, one way to create this margin of space is to look at the natural world, to to look at these things. When you move into um, biology, and you look at an ecosystem or you look at a population, like whether it's an animal population or something within a certain environment, and you can assess, is this population flourishing? Are they having what they need to live healthy lives? Um, do they have what they need to reproduce? Is there some imbalance? Are they sustainable as a population? And you begin to ask those questions in the natural world and the environment, and we have a great deal more objectivity to be able to say, oh, no, absolutely not. There's certain things that are happening around this population that are threatening them. They are becoming endangered. And we, we can have that conversation because it's not us. You know, it's this thing out in the natural world. But I think there are principles within that kind of observation that apply to us. So it's something as simple as, you know, if a population doesn't have sufficient food sources, their reproductive rates will drop in order to maintain the equilibrium of a certain number of um, animals that can be healthy and can reproduce. Or on the other hand, if they become so numerous that they have large uh, reservoir food re resources and they're re repopulating, repopulating, there will become this mechanism that the environment will um, begin to limit and kill off. Like, and that's part of human interaction with them to thin herds and that sort of thing. Um, but there's this sustainability. That's like the, the dial is set to sustainability. 
And every factor is trying to reach that, even if it includes things like violence or starvation. It's reaching toward sustainability. What I like about this approach of, of saying, uh, how can we be objective to seeing how life is going and how do we how do we achieve sustainability? That is a question of human flourishing or, you know, all of creation flourishing. And that comes at it from the question of what is going to produce the best life? What's going to produce the most flourishing and what will allow us to flourish the most? And I think that that coming at it from that perspective, rather than what is it that you're doing that you need to stop doing? You know what I'm saying? It's like you may come to the same conclusions that we need to have some limits or we need to adjust what our um, priorities are, what are the things that we engage in. We may come to the same conclusions from both of those questions, but they have a different feel, if that makes sense. Like one feels um, like you're moving in the positive side of things where you are saying, what can we do together to create the best world? Whereas the other one, it feels a little bit more like you're clamping down and condemning. And who wants to do that? I mean, no one, no one's going to rush to that side of the of the question. And so to raise the question of more of the positive side, I think that it will draw people a little bit more, it draws me, and it makes me want to engage in that. Right. And it's fundamentally the principle that Jesus is teaching in his ministry where he was healing on the Sabbath and the the religious leaders came to him and it was like, you're healing on the Sabbath. And he goes on to teach um, that the Sabbath, the category of Sabbath was given for man to flourish and have sustainability, not for man to serve the Sabbath. And so his argument was I can do things that lead to flourishing and healing on the Sabbath because the point of the Sabbath is to serve the sustainable flourishing of human beings. And so it's exactly what you're saying, like versus, no, you can't do this on the Sabbath. You are doing a bad thing versus actually this category was given for your flourishing. And the, the sooner you align your practices with it, the sooner that you um, acknowledge and agree and embrace the wisdom of this kind of built-in pause, the sooner you're going to flourish. And so it's an invitation to flourishing through rest, through Sabbath, through kind of pause and reset. And I think that's what's so beautiful um, about the idea of something like Sabbath or even winter or cycles in the natural world where things are not always producing. Um, the invitation is one of flourishing in a, in a way that's counterintuitive to us. It's align your life with what is real and true, and then you will be better capable of flourishing on the other side. And, and that's the invitation, even within the Old Testament law, um, to have cycles of Sabbath once a week, but also cycles of Sabbath with the land, that there would be every seven years this allowing the land to lie fallow and rest um, and, and the ability to recognize and do that. And if you didn't do that, you know, it, it collapses in on itself. Even within the, the Israelites' um, own history, they are carried off 
into captivity because they didn't align themselves with the Sabbath that God had invited them into. That's so interesting, too, because all of creation has this pattern built into it. God designed for there to be these patterns and these these uh, moments for rest, these cycles of needing to reset and realign. And it is when we ignore those built-in needs that it eventually you you run up against the chaos. <laughs> you run up against those forced pauses, like what we talked about earlier, where if this isn't sustainable, eventually you will be stopped. Um, even when you think of our bodies in terms of our health, you can't just go and go and go without rest, without proper care of your body. Um, eventually your body will break down and you will be forced to rest because your body just can't sustain that kind of life. And so I think looking at these pauses as um, something that is for our good rather than, oh, we have to do it, or even worse, to see them as a negative, like you, you just want to ignore the need or see it as something that you can overcome because you are superhuman. I think that that is negating the beauty of God's creation and it's only self-harm then. It, it seems in that way, it seems so silly. Like, why are you doing that? That's self-harm. Like you are not moving yourself to um, ultimate flourishing by denying that you need these pauses in your life. Yes. But having said that, it's also very hard to do. It's very hard to do. It's very hard to, as Sayers puts it, voluntarily you know, assess these things and change your practices. And Nathan and I have struggled with this recently, even this year, in voluntarily assessing our practices and making a decision that I thought we would never make. And now I am going to announce to listeners and to you something that may many may find shocking and may even find disappointing. So Aaron in evaluating sustainability and questioning practices of rest and voluntarily trying to align our lives, Nathan and I have decided to not put in a garden this year. What? I know. I, I am speechless and I can't even believe that. We, Hannah, you were supposed to be my um, doomsday prepper location right. when everything so goes down. I still I'm have to stuff canned from last year. <laughs> wow. So. We were really wrestling with it this spring. Part of it, I mean, we just released a book, Turning of Days, Natural World, calling people into this life invitation. Right. But we're also right. looking at our life in this moment. We're looking at the last few years. We're thinking in terms of Sabbath. We're thinking in terms of cycles of seven years. Not that that's like we don't feel bound by that, but there's a wisdom there. We look at our shelves and they still are very stocked because we had a really bumper crop last year. Yes, I remember. We look yeah, at our so freezer uh -huh. and it's still very stocked. And Nathan turns to me and he says, I don't think we're going to do a garden this year. And after I picked myself up off the floor, <laughs> I said, yeah, that, that's shocking. Okay, I think that's the right decision. 
I think this is a season of Sabbath and sustainability for us, but can we please take the garden and sow it with wildflowers? Now, this may come back to bite us in the long run. We'll see. Right. But but it'll be lovely. What I wanted was a visual reminder of uh, what Jesus teaches that you consider the lilies and how they are taken care of by their father when they don't toil and spin. So stepping away from practices that are unsustainable or at least just pausing, just giving Sabbath depends on being able to trust that someone will take care of you as you step away from the very practices that you thought were necessary to your flourishing. So it feels healthy, but it also is a very new place for us. Yes, and it I'm sure it will change what your summer is like because you won't be tending that space and tending your your garden and your plants. But I also feel like it is a good model in terms of um, you are in many ways taking a step of faith and saying, we're going to put these things into practice and we're going to trust that because we have what we need, we're going to trust God and we're going to not do the garden this year. So I feel like this is really good in terms of good for your soul, but also a good model for for me. And I think I was going to say this earlier that I feel like this is why we need community is because so often it's hard to see where we need to put stops in place and where we need to put a pause on things. And I so appreciate it when friends and family will say, hey, you're you're running it too hard. You really need to observe some rest and you need some space. And sometimes you're going so fast and so hard, you can't, you don't realize how much of it you are doing and that you are in need of it. So right, until you I feel like we right need this. Against. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like this is good. Like this is why I need to see this in you and you like together we all need to see the places where we need to take rest and model it for each other and call each other to it. So that's exciting, but very different. It is. And very unexpected. And, and it does feel like it's a question of sustainability, that if we want to keep doing these things in the future, is going to require this invitation to answer this invitation to rest now, as well as um, kind of a reevaluation. Take that time to pause, reflect, reevaluate, and consider the best sustainable practices going forward. That is a good word. Well, with that bombshell news. We are going to wrap up this episode of Persuasion, but we do hope you will all join us next week. We've got a final installment of the Finding Common Ground series for you. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at PersuasionCAPC and come tell us what uh, sustainable practices you have discovered, or if you just want to Express your disappointment that I won't be gardening. That'll be fine, too. <laughs> you can also find us in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum, um, which you can access by becoming a supporting member of Christ and Pop Culture for $5 a month. And all of our support goes to produce um, these conversations as well as uh, the other podcast series and the articles um, that 
are happening at Christ in Pop Culture. Thanks again to LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible for supporting this conversation. Persuasion is produced by Jonathan Clausen, and it's part of the Christ in Pop Culture podcast network. You can find all our shows at ChristinPopCulture.com or search for Christ in Pop Culture at iTunes. And thanks so much to all of you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.